Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Hey everyone, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Jen and I are in the studio today um, for a special episode Most of you guys will have heard by now that Francine Shapiro passed away, and we just wanted to do an episode um, specifically to honor her life and her contributions and talk about who she was as a human being beyond just the contributor that she was to our field and our practice. Um, So yeah, that's what we're focused on today. Jen, thoughts? Yeah, it's sad to be here today doing this episode for sure, and I I think... um, Francine's passing was really hard news for everybody, but we hope just to make this a positive episode, um, talking about the huge impact, the lasting impact that she has had, that those of us who practice EMDR, who have been clients of EMDR, have been, our lives have been transformed thanks to Francine and everything that she's done. And so we just really want to honor her and Mm -hmm. um, celebrate the life that she did live. And Jen, you were sharing some things with me, some of the stuff that I had heard, um, you know, a lot of us have heard some stories about who she was and the discovery of EMDR, but then you were telling me some things that I had never heard that were really fascinating. Can you talk a little bit about her early life and some of the interesting things that she did? Yeah. So in preparation of this podcast, we, you know, we felt like the timing was appropriate, but I was like, you know, I need to learn more. Um, we've all heard some of the similar stories or quotes that she's had, but I want to dig a little deeper. And so Melissa and I both took some time to read over different interviews that she had completed, um, different articles. And I came across some information that I had not heard before. And first, Francine was born in Brooklyn, New York, um, to her mother and father. She also had two sisters and a brother, so a pretty good-sized family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was reading some about just their upbringing being very traditional, where uh, dad was the breadwinner, and he was the one that worked, and mom stayed home and cared for the home and the children, and um, just grew up in that very traditional family lifestyle. Um, It had mentioned that her father was a mechanic, and with his family, he owned a garage, and that they also owned taxi cabs. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of an interesting Mm -hmm. detail. Um, In the 1950s, just again mentioning that dad was a breadwinner and mom stayed home, so they lived that traditional life that a lot of families lived in the 1950s. And so she spoke pretty highly of that experience in one of the interviews that I had looked at for a little bit. One of her biggest um, losses in her life was her younger sister passing away. Mm. And so I believe Francine was 17 when that happened. Oh, wow. Yeah, and her sister was nine. Oh, my goodness. So it was her little sister. And I think that was a pretty pivotal moment Mm -hmm. that she spoke of as just grieving that loss and trying to get through that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was shared just about some of her younger life experiences. Not a whole lot of details that I could find, but it was neat to just think of her outside of that role mm-hmm. of the Francine Shapiro, mm-hmm. but um, just being a young kid and going through those and having faced her own life difficulties, mm-hmm. even into her adulthood of her battle with cancer. Mm-hmm. 
which I think a lot of people have heard about Mm -hmm. to some degree. Um, But she definitely had faced her own trauma, uh, her own difficulties that I imagine were just huge inspirations to her to go in the direction of the field of EMDR. You know, to talk a little bit about her college education, one fact that was really fascinating was how she really wasn't pursuing psychology. Mm -hmm. That was not where her original interests lie. Her original goals were more into literature um, and studying. She was a school teacher, a high school teacher for a while. And she can totally see that. She has the personality for it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it takes a a tough person to be um, a high school teacher, but she seems to have that just in interviews that I've seen that she probably has that compassion, but the edge when she needed it. Yes. Um, so she was a high school teacher when she quit, when she quit, stepped down from that or took a break from that, she went into being a teacher's assistant at NYU. Hmm. And so spent quite a bit of time there studying 19th century literature and the poetry of Thomas Hardy. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So a feel quite different than psychology. Through that experience, um, you know, several years later, as she was studying, um, she was diagnosed with cancer. She was, let's see, it says Francine was an ABD in English literature, mm-hmm. and she was diagnosed with cancer. And so it was through that whole journey and that process that I think her interest really started peaking and her heart became really interested in some of the links of um, cancer, its origins, the cures, um, just her attention became absorbed in that. Mm -hmm. So she was, when she was cleared and her cancer was gone, um, there's a quote that she shares that her doctor had said, your cancer is gone, but X percent get it back. We don't know who and we don't know how, so good luck. Mm. And Francine um, shares about that in some of her texts. And it was through that process that she just kind of decided to leave her life back in New York and go into discovering what techniques were available, what what contributes to cancer, what contributes to the treatment of it, um, and just exploring mm. that a lot further. She... <laughs> Um, in this article I had read, it talks about how she sold everything and she bought a Volkswagen camper and she started a quest that led her throughout the United States and even the world. And then I love, um, it said she, um, as a deep thinker that she started to focus in on introspecting in the desert. Mm -hmm. And I just can picture that Mm -hmm. and have, uh, envy, Mm-hmm. what that experience must have been like, like what a spiritual moment of spiritual growth and mm-hmm. um, just studying and introspecting mm-hmm. in the desert across the world <laughs> with your Volkswagen <laughs> camper. Um, I love that story. I think for me, after learning this, the image of that is going to replace the image, the previous thoughts that I've mm-hmm. had, not that they have been anything but positive, but I, I feel like that helps me connect with her on even a deeper level mm-hmm. of who she was as a person, um, not just her research and articles and the EMDR therapy, which is all beautiful contributions, but just who she was as a person to go through something so difficult mm-hmm. and to let that change her life in such a positive way where she could really look inward and outward and do re- um, study and do other research 
which led to her finding EMDR. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I think it kind of helps us understand how much she really meant it when she talked about individual stories matter, even Mm -hmm. to research, like our contribution as individual therapists really mattered to her. And she was always encouraging people to consider our sessions, real research and find a way to get those stories out there, which is very much a part of why Jen and I decided to do this in the first place was really to make EMDR more of a, um, I don't know, a known quantity and a a thing that can be um, demystified and more available, more sought out. And that was so much her heart. And that kind of helps me understand how did she get there and why did she have such a passion for individual stories informing our research and informing the way we practice. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, she started studying clinical psychology. And so that was kind of her you know, after this journey of um, exploring inwardly and studying a variety of things, mm-hmm. she Her stepped famous into, walk in the park. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is what leads us up to this walk in the park. Yeah. Uh-huh. So she started studying clinical psychology um, at the School for Psychological Studies in San Diego, California. And, you know, of course, that's more than just one statement. There was a lot of studying and a process that went into that. And then that kind of leads us into the story of the walk in the park. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder what she was thinking about. You know, uh-huh. she never really includes that. It, like, was it a small menial thing that she was thinking about? Yeah. Or was it one of the bigger things that she'd experienced in life? I'd be curious. What those thoughts mm-hmm. were. Yeah, absolutely. The um, story of the walk in the park, I don't know. I, I have it here. Do you mm-hmm. think I should share it? Well, yeah. I mean, for... For people that have not heard that story, um, it's very simple. You know, Francine was walking in a park one day and she was on a path. And as she walked, she was scanning the path in front of her as you do when you're walking, you know, looking for sticks or snakes or I don't know, whatever. Um, And she was thinking about something. She never disclosed what that I know of. Um, She was thinking about something that was disturbing. And she noticed that after she walked for a while, that thing that had been so disturbing to her wasn't anymore. And this is the part that just always blows my mind. Then instead of chalking it up to, oh, I should get more sunshine. It's good for me. It helps me feel better. Instead of chalking it up to something like that, she decided that maybe somehow she had happened upon a brain mechanism (laughs) that had up to this point not been discovered. And the, the intuitive leap seems almost astronomical and spiritual on a level to me to think that you could go from, huh, I feel better to I'm going to research this as a natural phenomenon. Yeah. But that's who she was. (laughs) Yeah. And her experiences leading up to that and Mm -hmm. really, I feel like support that even more of just, she was very in tune with what was happening in her mind and her body and the world around her. Yeah. Very introspective and reflective Mm -hmm. And just speaks true to like her character to be able to have that experience and one even notice that it's happening. Right. And then two, to take that the next step or the mm-hmm. next many steps into mm-hmm. developing it into this full theoretical approach. Right. And, and to believe that it mattered enough to make a thing out of it, mm-hmm. that what she had just experienced mattered enough to take it back to the research lab and find volunteers to practice on and get approval for this kind of research all based on this singular 
um, experience that she had had. And it's just such a, I don't know, such a tremendous amount of personal strength and willpower um, that I think has always been really inspirational to me, this idea that one small experience that we have, if we let it matter, it can have such a profound impact. Um, And that, that story has just always, I don't know, been baffling to me. Like what kind of person goes from, I have this experience too, and now I'm going to research on it and believe Mm -hmm. that it, you know, can be this transformational tool. And I'm sure that that thought process didn't happen all in that day. Um, But the fact that she kept going and kept trying and refining and convincing people to let her do this crazy thing, to think about all the conversations that she would have had to have and all the belief that she would have had to have to keep that going. It's really tremendous. And just to think at that time where psychology Mm -hmm. was and counseling, her journey was not one that was short of obstacles and barriers. No. That, you know, that walk in the park was just the beginning, but then how many things she had to come up against, which goes back to that, you know, us joking about as a high school teacher, she probably had to have some edge. I can only imagine that had to transfer to, you know, all of the skepticism and Mm -hmm. the doubt and the question and the criticism Mm -hmm. that came with that, but that she didn't let that discourage her. And I'm sure at times it probably did. I don't know, but it would have me. Oh yeah. And that she kept pushing and persisting because she really believed in it and saw the difference that it was making for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a a quote that goes along with that from her book, getting past the past. She said, as with any field, if something does not fit into the current understanding of how things work, it raises eyebrows, hackles, or both. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are probably many moments that that is in reference to where she had to convince and decide to, you know, push past whatever resistance she was getting. Um, and yeah, I think it's just tremendous that we had somebody that was willing to do that yeah. at, you know, a lot of personal cost, I am sure. Um, and it also explains the I don't know, the fervor that she kept even, you know, later into her life after it was this well-established thing that she always kept pushing in that way, believing that EMDR was meant to be um, something world-changing. Like Mm -hmm. she really, really believed that and she fought so hard for it. And I think that helps us understand why she had the amount of passion that she did. Um, Yeah. And I find it just amazing. Yeah. Her vision for this practice was so big and Mm -hmm. so great. I think I really believe her vision was so much greater than what it is is today mm-hmm. that that she still sees there's a lot of um there was a lot more and and I do believe there is a lot more growth to happen and yeah. I think her visions far surpassed even where we're at mm-hmm. and she had the ability to see that mm-hmm. and really stick to it yeah stay loyal to that image yeah there's a uh, a story that Jen and I have heard we weren't unfortunately we were not there personally um but the last Andrea conference that Francine attended, we've heard this story about her standing at the podium and she's speaking to, you know, a room full of hundreds of EMDR therapists. And she actually expressed some anger and some upsetness. And what she said was, are you keeping it to yourself? Why haven't we changed the world yet? And that, that is clearly a paraphrase. And she said a lot more besides that, Um, But the impact that that made on the people there that we have talked to was one not of, you know, being angry with them for not caring enough, but for having too small of a vision Mm -hmm. of, you know, not really expanding our thinking as therapists 
to, to be so much bigger than just the one individual that we're serving today, but to really see it as a world changing phenomenon, that if we have a way of turning the tide against the impact that trauma is having, that that has tremendous implications for many, many things besides the individual, not that the individual doesn't matter, but she really saw this as a tidal wave of healing that could change everything that could change societies. Um, which is, you know, exactly how we should all be thinking. And sometimes when we're in the trenches day after day, we forget that that's why we do what we do. Um, but she was not slow to remind people. Yeah. (laughs) She was so passionate about it. Yeah. That, that story, um, a a colleague of Melissa and I, Lisa Saker, she was when he was sharing that with us. And she used that experience with Francine as like a platform to say, how do I take this business that I'm doing to you know, to train other people, um, and just expand it. And to, uh, I think it just speaks to us even on a business person level to be generous and not mm-hmm. feeling a, a competition, mm-hmm. you know, whether, whatever town you're in in Springfield where, Hey, this is a small town and a lot right. of people are getting trained, but it's more, it's not about how do we keep this to ourselves to give us the edge professionally to make us, um, really marketable. Yes, it does all of that, but how do we spread that? Because it, there is more than enough trauma to treat That's right. and there will always be more than enough. Mm-hmm. We're not going to run short mm-hmm. on trauma to treat and people. And there help. will always be new therapists that need to, you know, develop in that way, develop their ability to be truly competent at trauma yeah. treatment. Um, you know, even just beyond EMDR, which I think is a, you know, a whole way of conceptualizing trauma treatment. Um, but helping new therapists think that way, conceptualize that way, believe that way about what they're treating, um, it really changes things. Mm-hmm. And watching people make that transition from, um, you know, viewing what they're doing as applying these interventions um, and matching intervention to problem that they see in front of them, but really believing that they are helping people overcome trauma on a systematic level, on the individual level, the family level, the societal level, I think that all of us need help to to remember to think that large. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would just encourage and challenge all of you to s- speak about it, mm-hmm. whether it's with your colleagues, um, it's with your clients, it's with your family and friends. If you are trained in it um, and utilize it and get the benefit of that as a therapist, share that. If you are a client of it, share those um, positive gains that you've had. Um, So speak of it, sing its praises, talk about it to other people, and don't let's not keep it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's our best way of honoring her. Absolutely. And Jen, you, you mentioned that there's a, a resource on the Emdria website for people that want to kind of connect more um, around her legacy and memory. Yeah, if you, um, on Emdria, they do have, they're just sharing, it's beautiful to get to read what some people are writing, but photos of Francine, stories about her, um, anything on there. So they have an online community that's created just specifically around remembering and honoring Francine's life and her contribution. So if any of you are 
interested in more of this discussion or have something of your own to share, I encourage you to um, find that resource and post mm-hmm. on there, at least read through some of those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll link in our show notes, um, some more detail about, you know, her life she has lots of awards and publications and all kinds of things that she did. And rather than read you a whole long list, um, we'll just post it there so that you guys can peruse that if you want to, but also feel free to share your own comments and stories and, um, memories and the ways that EMDR has impacted you, um, on our Facebook page, just so that we, you know, have a way of, as a community, remembering, um, and honoring the individual that she was, the human being that she was, and also the huge contributor that she was to all of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's wrap up the podcast. There's a few quotes yeah. from her. I know you shared one already. Mm-hmm. Um, we found a couple of them that I think just really are a beautiful reflection of her. So several, Several of the places I looked quoted the same piece. So I will go ahead and share that. Um, So Francine said, I want to repeat the same thing that I have said for years. There is so much that we have done, but so much to do. Anyone who cares to can open the treatment room doors in a way that can really make an impact. Documenting your outcome and sharing it is quote unquote research. Research is not just about providing to others. It is a way to guide each one of us to establish the best practices. It is about staying on the right road. Everyone can also take a part through strengthening the professional organizations and by supporting HAP. We are all responsible for the world we live in. Worldwide clinicians are forging bonds that transcend countries and ideologies. Bonds that can help heal the trauma and pain that lead to ongoing violence and suffering. To make a difference that affects generations to come, don't leave it to anyone else. We all have to take a part in it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to speak about HAP at all? I, I think mm-hmm. it, it came up there and mm-hmm. she was, I'm going to to show my ignorance here, I think she was a founder or creator mm-hmm. of HAP. Is yeah. that accurate? I think so. And HAP is the Humanitarian Assistance Program. And it is, um, you know, very focused on on training, but also on trying to keep it uh, cost-effective and available. Yeah, it's a not-for-profit mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and just reaches – that's how I was originally trained. Mm-hmm. I was too. Um, mm-hmm. Makes it very cost-effective. But then they have these movements of going into places yes. and providing EMDR therapy mm-hmm. – um, in places that maybe couldn't typically afford it. Right. So whether it's natural disasters or international, um, yeah. So there's a work. lot of a lot of volunteer opportunities and things like that. Because um, her focus was very much on getting it out to as many people as she possibly yeah. could and promoting the spread of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I just admire that so much in her. I think again, just speaks to who she was as a mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. That she has this amazing thing and put so much work and effort into how do we get it not as a way to make money, mm-hmm. but just as a way to really make change. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it would be too broad to say that from Francine's perspective, she saw EMDR as a way to heal the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that's exactly how she spoke about it and treated it. And I think that we can too, if we, you know, choose to embrace it that way. Um, oh, another interesting quote that um, I'll share with you guys is that in her book, Getting Past Your Past, she said that at this point, there's enough research to believe that 
she would actually change the name of EMDR. Um, if I had to do it all over again, she says, I'd simply call it reprocessing therapy. But now EMDR is the commonly uh, used name worldwide. So it's too late for a name change. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I think it's it's interesting for us to know that she would have changed it. Um, she wouldn't have limited it in that way. And so it was this, you know, this evolving thing. And she didn't know where it was going to go and how big it was going to get when she was doing all that work initially and all that research initially. Um, so, yeah, those are just some things that we wanted to share about who she was and what her thoughts were. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for spending the time to listen to this. We, it feels really heavy on our hearts of her passing, but so exciting to get to honor her and continue to live out this dream that she had for EMDR therapy and healing trauma. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and please feel free to leave us any comments. As Melissa mentioned earlier, stories or the way that Francine or EMDR therapy has impacted you personally or the clients you serve. We'll look forward to our next episode. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.